0: When you think you need it, the outcome becomes very important, but when you rest in the peace of who you are, when you know you're going to be okay no matter what, that's when you're in the greatest space to receive what it is that you desire.
1: Hello, yogis, and welcome back to Dharma Talk, the podcast where I interview inspirational yogis about how they're changing the world. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 28. You just heard a little soundbite from my interview with Howard Falco, the guest this week. But before I get into Howard, I just want to make a shout out to my friend in Spain, Pedro Cormanzana, who was generous enough to make a donation this past week to Dharma Talk. Pedro, I know I haven't met you in person yet, but I feel like we're connected. We've been kind of chatting with each other online for a little while, and your support means so much to me. can't thank you enough. If anyone else would like to make a donation to help keep Dharma Talk up and running, you can always do that on my website, henrywins.com. You can also get there at dharmatalk.show. Okay, so about Howard, our guest this week. Howard Falco is not your traditional yogi. He doesn't teach um, a yoga class with asana and pranayama like a lot of my guests do. But he is absolutely a spiritual teacher and an expert who's out there sharing his wisdom. And what better way to broadcast that out to you guys when I met him than through this podcast. So Howard and I talk about a very specific moment of awakening that he went through, which revealed to him what was important to create peace and happiness in this life and ultimately led him to leave his lucrative career in finance. He talks about why self-awareness is so vital to your ability to create, to find peace, to gain wisdom, and how so many people are actually sabotaging themselves unknowingly in these processes. Finally, we talk about how to reconcile setting intentions with relinquishing expectations. That's tricky. And the final magical ingredient apart from those two things, that it takes to grow. Howard's got two books out, and I'm excited for you to hear him talk about those books and all the other ways that he's sharing these important messages and influencing people to discover who they really are. So we'll get into all of that. Please stick around and enjoy this interview with Howard Falco right after these announcements. Yogis, I've got some travel dates coming up and some special events that I hope you can join me for. First, the weekend of October 13th and 14th, I'm going to be down in Miami, Florida with my wife Veronica Lombo. On Saturday, I'm teaching a workshop called Hip Therapy for Grounding and Tension Release. And on Sunday, Veronica's teaching Mood Boosting Meditation and Practical Pranayama for Mental Wellness. Then, the weekend of November 17th and 18th, I'll be teaching at the Yoga Dojo in Richmond, Virginia. I'm teaching a workshop called Take Control Through Lightness, and then the next day, Find Power in Vulnerability. The following weekend, Saturday, November 24th, and Sunday, the 25th, Veronica and I are at Hot Yoga Richmond. I'm teaching another HIPS workshop, and Veronica is teaching Sadhana, Creating Your Yoga Practice Beyond the Poses. If any of those events appeal to you and our schedules are aligned, you can find out more details on my website henrywinds.com/events. Go there and sign up. At Lighthouse Yoga School in Brooklyn, New York, we are currently enrolling our next 200-hour teacher training for January 2019. So, yoga teachers looking to level up your teaching, aspiring yoga teachers who want to do your first training or yoga students who just want to take their practice a little bit deeper. You can get more information about that also at henrywins.com slash events. And if you apply now using my referral code, Henry Wins, you'll save $100 on your tuition. There's no fee to apply. So go ahead, put your application in, drop the referral code and lock in $100 off. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your Dharma. Hello Dharma Talk community and welcome back to another episode. Today I've got a special guest on the line, Howard Falco. Howard is a spiritual teacher, expert, and coach on human understanding and peak potential. He's the author of two books on mindfulness and self-awareness. I Am, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are, and Time in a Bottle, Mastering the Experience of Life. Howard teaches individuals how to tap into their true unlimited self, opening them up to a world of new possibilities in the process. Howard, it's a pleasure to have you on. Excited to talk to you more about your books and everything that you're teaching all of your followers. So how are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Henry.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. You know, with all of these interviews, no matter um, what kind of experience and wisdom you bring to the table, I always like to open up with the same opening question, and today will be no different. So that question is this, what does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today? Mm,
0: great question. Um, to me, dharma means uh, the ability to know your truth and to follow it. Um, and that's for me what uh, what I am doing every single day, and and what I've been doing uh, since uh, the experience that sort of uh, my awakening, or what woke me up to some beautiful, incredible insight and awareness on the nature of life.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a very beautiful and simple way of putting it, and it's the way that you just outlined that is is pretty intriguing because I. Don't always hear guests say that there is a specific moment of awakening, as you put it. Um, I'd love to hear about that. I mean, can you take us back to that moment and and walk us through that process mentally? What happened to you?
0: Absolutely. Um, the process really started when I was um, 14 years old. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, my uncle and aunt wanted to take me and my cousin on a fishing trip. And so we went on a 10-hour ride up to northern Minnesota to this rustic cabin that sat on the edge of a beautiful lake near the Canadian border. And we got there when it was dark, unpacked the car, everybody went to sleep. And of course, being 14, I wanted to check out the surroundings. So I walked out the cabin door, we had a little dock there on the lake, went right to the end of the dock, and I just stood there. And immediately what hit me was, excuse the oxymoron, but the sound of silence. I was in awe at the silence. And it just sort of encapsulated me where I just looked out into this beautiful lake. There wasn't a breath of wind, it was a moonless night. And as I looked across this lake, I started to see what looked like light shining up from different parts of the lake. And I noticed these lights were not only in one part, but they were covering the entire lake. And for just a split second, Henry, I didn't know what was going on. And then I looked up and in that moment, I was shook to my core in such a profound and awe-inspiring way. I could not believe what I was seeing above my head. Um, this, there were more stars in the sky, as I explained in the book, than than there was sky. Um, and I saw the Milky Way stretch across from one end of the sky to the other, and I just, the breath was literally taken from my lungs. And I just laid down on the dock for what seemed like hours and just stared um, at what was above my head. And And at that moment... Thousands of questions were were birthed in my mind about the nature of life and reality and purpose and meaning. And um, I thought I was the center of the world when I was 14. And then I realized in looking up that there was a lot more to know and understand about the nature of existence. And that set me on a sort of an existential search, if you will, throughout my life. Normal life went to put myself through school out at Arizona State. I always loved the West and was drawn out there and got married Um, I graduated, got married, um, got a job, got married, had two kids, started to make some money. I was in the finance business at the time, and in the back of my mind, all these questions were still there, and they were nagging at me, and what was concerning was that I thought I should have the things that should make one happy, but yet there was still this unsettled feeling that there was more. There was more to know and understand, and that pushed me to a point in my mid-30s where I thought I had the answers, but I wasn't happy. And I thought the last one must be, you know, what they teach you the American dream to have millions of dollars. And then one day I realized that money wasn't it, that what was really important was our connections to one another and the love that we share between one another. And when that realization hit, I was pleased to know that piece of it, but yet scared in another sense that the last answer I had for peace and happiness was gone, meaning um, it wasn't going to be money. So I was sort of out of answers as to how to create that that feeling of contentment and love. And so I was uh, really shook to my core in a scared way and sort of reached my hands up to the sky, to um, the universe or life or God. And I said, I'm ready to know more. I am ready to know. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I have to give up. Show me. And I let it go. And then A couple weeks later, I was in a seminar uh, for um, something about the finance business and the, the instructor was teaching to about 20 of us and he was talking about the nature of how we make decisions in life as it relates to financial markets and how that impacts us and that we're creating the whole experience. And right when he said that, something clicked off in my head about, yeah, we are creating the whole experience but how we perceive and react and that opened the floodgates. And I realized that the control was in me for happiness. And that's what really, quote, woke me up, was that it was no longer something outside of me. It was something within me. And now at least I knew where it was. Now I had to figure out how to access it and control it, um, so to speak. The second thing I realized, which was really powerful, was that I'd asked these incredible questions a couple weeks earlier. And the universe answered me. And that got me excited, too. So. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that was sort of the, that's sort of the short story. And then that led me to six months later where I was in such a mindful state going into life, going, where's the information coming from today? Because if it can come in a finance seminar, it can come from the person next to me in the grocery store or the license plate in front of me or a movie line or a a song line. And that's what started to happen. It started to flood my existence to where I had a second experience um, in late uh, December of 2002 that was the the Grand Mall uh, experience and uh, that took me a year to get my arms around and it was a very humbling experience And I'm happy to share more whatever you want to know but when it was done that's when I wrote I am and left my job.
1: Well first of all I just wanna kinda of react to what you said already. Um, one thing is I think you're absolutely right about um, that realization, which was sort of a side side point for you, um, that this information can come from anywhere. I think it's very tempting to think that you have to, you know, go on some sort of spiritual pilgrimage to India or, you know, whatever the case may be. But no, this information, this divine information, information really can come from anywhere if it can come from a financial seminar as you said something that seems totally on the other end of the spectrum it can come from anywhere and the other thing that i that was really striking to me about your story is that um sort of the full circle irony of this moment on the pier looking out over the dock you believed as a 14 year old as many young kids do that you know your entire experience you're the center of the universe and then you know there's so much more out there you had this much broader perspective all of a sudden from seeing the stars and then in your 30s you realize that actually all the power does come from within you <laughs>
0: exactly that's exactly you know, right
1: yeah so yeah it's very cool went full circle exactly yeah so i i do want to hear about the um sort of the next chapter of the story tell us about what happened with what did you call it the this next event
0: yeah it was sort of a a category 10 um, opening, so the, what happened was I had opened to so much possibility, meaning I wasn't judging anything in my awareness, in my existence, that it had a, in some way, shape, or form for life or for myself. And because I didn't have judgment, I was able to see the message in it, and I wasn't forcing it. I was just very present and very mindful. And that allowed the pipeline, so to speak, between awareness and my consciousness uh, or or, uh, the consciousness of of life or the divinity of life and my consciousness or my awareness to connect. So like the pipe became clear. And so if I asked a question, it would normally, when this first happened, it would take about a week. And then I would get it through uh, a movie line where I saw the subtext of the movie where the spiritual nature of the movie, if you will, or a song line or a comment from a stranger. And then it would take just a few days. And then it was down to like a day when I asked certain questions. And then I was sitting in my office one day and all of a sudden, boom, I just got this incredible insight and, and, and sense of knowing and I wrote it down as fast as I could. And it was like it was dropping in from the crown of my head. Like a, like a, I explain in the book, like the first raindrop that hits your head when it's raining and you're not sure whether or not it's a raindrop or a bird. And so, <laughs> um, but it takes you a second to kind of go, what was that? And then another one hit and I wrote it down, and then another one, and then it started to rain, and then it started to pour, and I couldn't write it fast enough, and so I got up, and I didn't know where I was going to go, but I had to leave, and I got in my car, and I just drove, and I ended up at the public library where I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I just got out of the car and literally followed my feet. I remember my heart beating in my throat. I didn't quite know what was going on. I wasn't scared, but I knew it was something incredible, and I sort of walked where my feet led me, which was to the psychology, spiritual, philosophy section of the library. And I just grabbed whatever book resonated, and they happened to be the works of uh, Buddha, Confucius, Lotso, um, Christ, the Old Testament, and I, Freud, Jung. And I, I took these books into the back of the library, and just the first one I opened was the complete works of Freud. And I opened it up and put my finger down and started to read a paragraph. And it was as if I had read the book a hundred times. And I could see what he was explaining and, and saying, and it, was, it made sense. It was like if you didn't know a foreign language from one minute to the next, and all of a sudden you could understand how to write it, read it, and speak it. Hmm. And then I opened, I think it was a book uh, of Confucius' sayings, and then I opened the New Testament to a couple of parables that I'd heard many times before and saw the gross misinterpretation of it. And uh, anyway, at that moment I was brought to my knees in a state of, unbelievable grace and humility and i just made a commitment at that moment that for the rest of my life i would be a good servant to this awareness and do what i could to share it um i was a little scared because i knew the doorway to this wisdom was humility the ability to humble thyself and and i felt like you know who am i you know i'm some guy with a couple kids you know coaching uh baseball club baseball for my son in in the middle of scottsdale arizona who am i to have this grace and And am I going to lose my humility by going out and and teaching it? And the answer came back in the same way it did with every question I asked, was sort of a feeling or a knowing that just said, hey, you know, Howie, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about it. You're not special. Nobody is. And that means everybody is. So everybody is worthy of this information. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the green light for me to go ahead and and write and speak and teach it.
1: So when you first had that that raindrop or or bird dropping as the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. Was it clear to you what the message was or was it just more of a, a feeling that didn't really um, uh, materialize until you got more of the, the raining and pouring?
0: Uh, no, it was, it was a feeling that immediately became a knowing. So for example, one of them was this profound, incredibly profound sense that, Love is all there is. And it was a feeling that turned into a knowing. In other words, the knowing was when I looked out after that experience, out through my eyes, I could see it. I could experience it because I knew it to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, another one that came in was uh, um, uh, not knowing is knowing. And it was a feeling, you know, of being humble and having your mind open because when you're open, there's space, there's room for the universe, uh, for divinity to provide wisdom. So, um, it's uh, humble, you know, humility is the doorway to wisdom. And so that was just an incredible insight and knowing that turned into an experience that I lived out. Um, just to give you a couple examples.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so then when you decided to put this down, once you had the green light to go out and, and share this, what was the experience like of, of writing the book? And which book was first? Uh, I
0: Am was the right. first book, The Power of Discovering Who You Really Are. I, it was interesting. As I took the year to sort of assimilate all this and, and realize I, I wasn't going crazy, even though I felt out of my mind, literally, which I, I was because I was out of my old mind and into the new mind and the new mm-hmm. expanded mind. Right. Um, I It started pouring out of me. and When I mean pouring out of me, I mean my wife, who's an angel, you know, had to hear me. Process all this, you know, the cosmology, the universe, and energy and matter, and and the psychology of who we are, and you know, I mean, just litany of things. And finally, I decided to journal to help get this energy, which I was literally vibrating out of my body. And so, when I was journaling, all of a sudden one day, I'm on my back patio journaling, and I look down, and there's a piece of poetry. Now I'm 35, 36. I've never written poetry in my life, but I thought, you know, this is a really beautiful piece, and so. I'm going to continue to do this. So I wrote about 30 poems. And then when I exhausted that, I finally went to my wife and I said, I have to write about this. I have to do this. And I guess it was getting the courage to do something I hadn't done before, other mm-hmm. than business letters or English papers in college. And that's when I started, started to write. And I, every night I would write. And at the end of a year, I had a whole bunch of files. And then one day I went into a, a room at the library with a big whiteboard and. All the files I started putting them in an outline, and the outline fit in perfectly with a couple spaces, which I eventually filled in, and then the title came, and so I had a manuscript, and then I just went to the next step, which was okay. What do I do now? And I knew I had to clean it up and get a professional editor to help me work with it and and make sure it was presentable to the place that I wanted to present it, which was a publishing agency, and that I was off and running.
1: Yeah, and I know that you've gotten. Um quite a bit of recognition for it. I saw that you had an interview with Deepak Chopra, so it's, it's obviously been received well. Um, mm-hmm. What has it been like to go out? I'm sure you had some sort of, um, I don't know, marketing or promotional tour for the book. What has it been like to see the reception of the book?
0: It's been interesting. Um, it's been... I, I don't really have words to express the joy and and the um, the feeling of being able to be a good deliverer and a good servant of this awareness and be able to see the shift in people's eyes and in their hearts and their souls when they realize the beauty of who they are when they realize the unlimited possibility when they when they see the lies and the and the um, untruths of, of the stories that have limited them uh, through nurturing upbringing personal experience genetics so. It's been a beautiful gift to be able to, to present this book to people and to help them understand it and understand themselves more. So I, it's hard to really put into words, but um, it's been good. On the other hand, um, there's definitely – people go one way or the other with the work. They either can't get enough. In other words, they're, they're reading it and consuming it over and over and over again. Uh, that People read it many, many times of all ages, all genders, all races, or they run. Mm-hmm. And they don't even want to know that it exists, so it's it's really an interesting dichotomy between people who are ready for this work and people who um aren't
1: well, I can see how something that um totally radically shifted your own worldview could be polarizing, you know that it asks a lot of of the reader if you're going to take that information on,
0: yeah you have to be ready for the journey. There's no question about it. And, and I, it took me a while to understand that. Cause at first, you know, I, I was like, why wouldn't anybody <laughs> here's the, you know, the, the, the Holy grail, so to speak, and, you know, just a, a beautiful information. Why wouldn't anybody, but I had to learn that everybody in their own time is ready to come to, to more truth about the nature of life.
1: Right. Right. You got to respect the process of, mm-hmm. of exactly. every single person. Um, So what is, what's one of these stories, you know, give, give our listeners, a a teaser of one of the stories that people tell themselves that can hold them back from this, this understanding.
0: I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, um, you know, I mean, there are, you know, they say there's a million stories in the big city. Well, everybody has their own story based on how they grew up and how they learned to look at who they are. And, you know, upbringing and and nurturing, when we're children, we, we have nothing but love for the world. So when we get treated badly, or we get told negative things, we don't see bad in the person that's telling us, or the bad in the person that's doing these things to us. We turn and see bad in ourselves that we can't see in the world because we only see love. And so it ends up creating a negative story for the individual. And then that story, that I, whatever that is, the identity, is what life is connecting to. That's why it's self-awareness is so vital to the process of the power of your ability to create, for the process of your ability to find peace, for the process, process of your ability to gain wisdom. Um, so it's about coming to uh, an understanding of what your story has been and questioning whether or not it serves you. But so many people in the world, unfortunately, have negative stories about themselves that they're living out every day and suffering because of it. Now, suffering has a purpose. Its purpose is to bring us to question mm-hmm. so that one day we might ask the right question or be ready for the information. But the, the most stubborn suffer the most until finally life humbles you. Um, so that that's sort of an overview, um, yeah. but there, there's, I mean, I could tell you so many stories that, that Stories you would believe and stories you wouldn't believe of <laughs> how so many unfortunately have been treated as children and have lived it out through relationships and bad business decisions and and addiction and abuse and um, so so my mission continues to be to to enlighten as many people on uh, the truth of who they are.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing that I often ask the guests on this show is. Generally, you know, I have a lot of yoga teachers on here. Um, I'm curious what their practice is. But for you, I, I'm also curious, you know, you had this sort of download of information and then went on to um, disseminate it. But is there an ongoing practice that, that you keep up in order to, I don't know, stay humble or stay receptive to, to more information? What is your day-to-day practice of, of being open to this entail?
0: Yeah, so the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning um, is simply take a few minutes in a quiet meditation just to say thank you. Uh, thank you for my life. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the love. Um, and that sets my day in, in a really good space. Um, and then at night, it's the same routine. Um, it's a prayer of thanks uh, for everything that the day has brought, all the teachings, and I set the intention for what I want to experience tomorrow and what I'd like to do. And then I release the need or I release the expectation. And I think that is one of the most powerful places that a person can put themselves in, um, to help the forces of life create with you um, because you're in a, you're in a state of, of humility. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are the two things I do. I also have a great support system around me of, of people. And, um, just trying to be patient because the, the nature of of the wisdom, I it, it can feel it in my body. It wants to come out and, and sort of run and the proper roads need to be there. It has to be the right place. Yeah. So I appreciate any opportunity to be able to, to share. So that's what I do to kind of keep myself grounded and centered. Um,
1: yeah. And get- and, and you actually, since you, you brought up sort of the contradiction there, I want to ask you a little bit more about how you reconcile this, this, this idea of setting an intention, but also um, dismissing expectation. How, how does one do that?
0: That's a great question. And one I, I work really hard on with athletes because they're constantly having expectations of themselves and it puts too much pressure because expectation creates pressure on a certain outcome and so in the universe is constantly trying to tell us that anything is possible. The infinity is the real truth of life. And so anytime we put a, a, a box around that, life tries to blow that apart to show us that anything is possible. So for, for me, um, uh, teaching or, or living the nature of, of, of not having expectation is just simply setting an intention and having the F word, which is faith faith that life will take care of it. And the analogy that I love the most that I've used many times in many speeches and talks is the one of the seed and the farmer and how the farmer picks a certain crop that he wants to grow. He works the soil. He takes that seed to which to me is the intention, just like our thoughts are seeds of intention. And he plants it. Then it's not over. He's got to nurture it. He's got to make sure it's getting watered. He's got to make sure that if you know, it's protected from the elements if it needs to stand up straight and not get bent over and break. And then at some point when he plants the seed, though, he needs to give it up to divinity. He can't do anything more once all the conditions are there. He just has to go back in the house and wait for that brown field to turn green with a crop. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the magic of life. So That analogy I use in in people that are trying to create anything, there's only so much you can do. You always have to constantly check, hey, is the water clean? Is the soil nutrient? Because you think you might have the conditions in your life set, but is there something corrupting the conditions? So you always have to be aware and open, but once you're at peace that you've done everything you can, then life requires that last magical ingredient, which is the ingredient of faith. Mm -hmm. And knowing that no matter what, it's going to be okay. You don't need it to survive which is another misnomer because we all have everything we need to survive and we've gotten through <laughs> trillions of years of transformation from stars to, to individual consciousnesses that we're going to be okay. And once we release that, with keeping the intention, it's sort of a balancing act. Um, that's the most powerful place to be, I've found mm-hmm.
1: I love that metaphor. I think that's um, that's a really effective and efficient way of putting it. I'm not sure how familiar you are with traditional um, yoga philosophy, but there we have a similar kind of set of, of conditions and and balances. There are these two concepts called vairagya and abhyasa, which translate loosely to practice and non-attachment. And mm-hmm. it's, it's this idea that you have to keep doing the practice, but it's not because you are dead set on any particular result. You're just doing it for the sake of, of, of the practice of keeping something up. And then there's this other piece called Ishvara Pranidhana, which translates sometimes to faith, as you put it also sometimes to surrender. And, you know, it's, it's because you have to surrender your own control over that outcome.
0: hmm That's, that's beautifully said. Um, exactly. we, don't have ultimate control we can only do so much to work with life and work with the universe but there's nothing wrong i tell people there's nothing wrong with wanting desiring having creative intentions that's why we're here we're here to create we're creative beings and so there's nothing wrong with any of that you just don't want to slip to need when you get to need that creates pressure and pressure creates time and so When you get back to gratitude, and thanks, and faith, it puts you in in the best space to create. But again, you can't connect to the outcome, you have to detach from the outcome, which is is what makes it so powerful.
1: Mm -hmm. And so challenging.
0: (laughs) And so, yeah, that's a good point, Henry, and so challenging, because uh, when you think you need it, the outcome becomes very important. But when you rest in the peace of who you are, when you know you're gonna be okay no matter what, that's when your true talent or can come out, that's when you're in the greatest space to receive um, what it is that you desire. Because remember, need, actually, this is sort of an interesting point. So need says I'm not good enough unless I have this or unless I do this. And, and the message life is trying to get, I believe, life is trying to get to each one of us is that we're perfect exactly as we are in this moment. That means we can't be a different iteration or version In the next moment, which is the the, uh, continuing evolution of life, but we're perfect just as we are in this moment. And when we realize that, then life allows us to transform into what we want to be. Mm -hmm. But not until we get that message and we get that lesson.
1: And that's the power of now. huh? Right, yeah. The the power of now, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's the power of being present in now and appreciating where you're at now. Again, not that you don't have desires and aspirations for um, or dreams of, a, of, a, of an experience you want to create, but you don't do it at the expense of now. Right. You're appreciating now along with that dream.
1: So ever since this um, this major moment of awakening, this epiphany that you had, has it all been smooth sailing since then or have there been moments that you've run up against against the current and sort of struggled with with the new information or or how it applies to your life what happened in in a moment like that if if there was one and then what did you do to get through it Mm,
0: that's a great question so yeah there have been moments I've never struggled with the information itself Um, there was a moment of fear of would this ever go away and I asked the question how does this? How does one remain in this with this door open? And the answer was humility. So I'm very. I've been very guarded, probably to a fault, um, uh, on the humble side of things. Trying, not you know, even though I wanted to. Sometimes when people are filled with spirits, they go to the street corner and they say, you know, listen to me, you know, because they they understand that connection and they're they're trying to share it. But the biggest challenge I think was the energy was so powerful that it took my nervous system some time to adjust to it and my understanding some time to catch up with it in regards to its place and time amongst people who are looking for it. So um, I thought everybody would want this immediately. And I was shocked when I realized that people are happy being shrouded in the mystery, so to speak. And going through life, trying to figure things out. And to a certain degree, they're comfortable in the suffering. And I had to respect that until they asked. And so that's been a balancing act for me to learn how to pace this and to find where it's going to and who's ready for it. And I was shocked, Henry, by some of the circles that have the title of spirituality around it that weren't even ready for this layer. Mm-hmm. that's been very shocking. But I, again, everybody at their own, own time and pace. So it's just been a game of faith and, and patience and, and being okay with wherever it is. Um, so that, that's been the biggest challenge is just cause it's been, it's been such a powerful force inside me.
1: Are you willing to share maybe, uh, one of these specific cases that you ran against some resistance to, to the message you were trying to get across?
0: um, well i there's there's a lot of them that kind of have an overall theme to it, and um, um I, it's just if if people say this is what we're looking for, this is what we want, this is who we want to share messages." And the work has received incredible you know humbling feedback. You would think that when you present it, you would get a response. well what what's happened with this work is, I don't even get a response sometimes. It's mm. it's just I mean, after a couple phone calls, I mean it's like I I don't exist. And it that took a while to kind of realize, wow, I can't even I mean, just say no or say, you know, no thank you, or you know, we're not, you know, this isn't for us or whatever. But it's it's very odd. People don't say no to this. Uh-huh. They just they either want it and they and I've spoken many, many places, which have been outstanding. Um, or they're just not ready. So there's kind of like a deer in the headlights. It's just I know this is someday we want to say yes to this just not yet so we're just not going to respond so okay. um, that that's about as specific as i can get but it's been some surprisingly um uh spiritual places but again mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is again i say this with the most humility so please understand that but i feel like this is paradigm shifting work and in, 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 in the way that we look at the origin of who we are and where it comes from Mm-hmm. just another layer. And so it's all just patience is all it takes, but I'm very happy and pleased to serve the people that I've been serving and doing the work that I'm doing. One of the interesting things, Henry, is that, you know, as an ordinary guy, so to speak, um, when this happened, I had visions of maybe shaving my head, putting a robe on, but I, you know, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't me. And so there was this piece of me that I kept that said, I'd like to bring this in a very mainstream way, a very straightforward way and and reach the masses who, aren't really being spoken to. It's either a spiritual mm-hmm. circle or a religious circle. And I wanted to bring this to so many of the SBNRs, the spiritual but not religious people that are, you know, the largest growing group in the world. Mm-hmm. And so what was cool is the the, the information kind of came out in a very straightforward way in I am. And I started getting calls from athletes, um, which I thought was a really unique twist. Wow, I didn't expect that. And professional athletes. And so it was great for me being someone who knows that that arena very well and can speak that language. That was just one area. I thought, okay, if life is gonna bring this to the mainstream that way, then let's go that way, um, as well as speaking on the spiritual side. So yeah, maybe that's why I, I'm a Gemini, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, and, and you mentioned the athletes earlier, so I actually did want to ask you about that. Um, first of all, so, so smart of you, and um, uh, I totally agree that you have to be willing to serve your role, you know? And, If other people are being reached by a different message, if it's all getting people to the same place, then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just like everything that you've been, you talking about, you know, you don't attach yourself to any specific role that you see for yourself. You see, where am I serving naturally? And okay, let me, let me lean into this, you know? So, um, who, or how, how has, um, your work started to impact some of these athletes? Can you tell us like a story about, um, someone's, someone's transformation?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, one of the first um, more prolific athletes was uh, a young pitcher out of Tampa Bay, a rookie named Chris Archer, very um, uh, cerebral pitcher. And he very much into spirituality and understanding the self and self-development and self-awareness. And he said the book called to him in a bookstore. He'd go there and he was looking for the right book and couldn't find one. He turned around and he saw the cover of I Am Just Facing Him and he knew that was the right book. And he started reading it. And it changed the way he looked at himself and it changed the way that he put his, how he put his mind in the right space when he was pitching and he started to have all this success. And so he reached out and we connected and said, I'd like to work with you as it relates to um, uh, my pitching and and my athletic ability and and we started working together and he went on to be a Cy Young candidate and a strikeout leader in baseball and he really used mindfulness and this understanding of the power within him um, to, to deliver better on the mound and have better results, which was just awesome. So that's one example. And then he actually connected me to, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, which I ended up going in and talking to the whole team. And that was fascinating because now obviously I changed the language in order to meet where they were at, but with the same information underneath the language. So it would connect better. Um, but they were wide open to it and they were I could see the need for, for athletes in this area to um, level up their mental game. They were doing everything else between diets and training and working, but the mental side was an area that they were really looking for more insight on. And so they were almost craving it because there's so much pressure at that level. The pressure is, it's hard to explain the pressure of, of being in a professional sport, but just the intensity of the single-minded focus on what their craft is. Um, so that was cool. And then I ended up working with a couple other, um, one other all-star and franchise player, um, Evan Longoria, who's now on the giants. And we had a career year after we worked together, which was really nice. So he opened up his mind, uh, infinite possibility. And then I've worked in, um, college football, division one college football for a season and on the PGA tour, which is, uh, uh, a passion of mine, um, that area. So it's been really cool to see this work move out in that arena Just under a different language, but the Mm -hmm. same principles of gratitude, having more of a sense of honor, respect, and love for yourself so that you can be in the most conducive state to bringing out the talent. And really, the key word, allowing yourself to have those results, whereas a limited idea of self prevents you from having those results because it doesn't match your identity. But when you allow yourself, when you see the love that you are and you allow yourself into that space... Um, great things happen. And that can be in sports or it can be in a relationship. People that are having struggling trying to find a relationship. And I've worked with hundreds of people looking to find relationships and why they haven't been able to find love. And the simple answer is because they have to find it in themselves first. Mm -hmm. So,
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, I love the diversity of the experiences that you're talking about because it just speaks to the universality of of everything Mm -hmm. that, that you've been talking about. I mean, it's just truth is truth you know
0: exactly yeah there are principles um and uh, to understand and i you know i'm working hard i would love for young people in high school or college to have this as a required course along with reading writing math science self-awareness to understand the nature of who we are i think that can change the world so i'm working hard um, to see that this work makes its way into the educational system which mm-hmm. um is quite a journey to go on.
1: Well, Howard, apart from getting your message out on this podcast, what are you doing today to, to live your dharma and, and spread this message?
0: So um, I see people on a daily basis in private sessions at my office or on Skype and FaceTime. I've got my two books out through Penguin, which are on Amazon and should be in every bookstore, hopefully. Um, I, uh, um, I do a lot of social media on Facebook and Instagram to share and spread the message in different ways, shapes, and forms. Um, I'm doing a retreat in Sedona at the end of September, 27th, 28th, 29th, um, three days, teaching with another teacher, Jackie Woodside, uh, from the East Coast, and uh, we're gonna do three half days and allow people to enjoy and experience beautiful Sedona and let this information absorb in for the other half of the days. Um, So I'm excited about that. And then um, I'm writing a third book um, on the power of mindfulness and mind and basically coalescing the first two books together, so.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Um, Okay. Well, now I always end these interviews with something that I call the prana round. And generally, these questions are about um, a yoga practice, but I'm going to change it up a little bit for you, given the the circumstances. But uh, the rules are still the same. I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. Perfectly.
1: Okay here we go in one word why do you practice mindfulness love what is your favorite practice your favorite mindfulness practice and why
0: seeing the truth that everybody's doing the best that they can in life because it takes away judgment and allows compassion and love to flow for them
1: ah, that's amazing i love that What is the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a teacher? That you're creating the unfolding of your reality. Okay. Apart from your own two books, which will definitely be linked in the show notes, what recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our audience?
0: Any of the Tao or the Tao or the writings of Latsu? Latsu,
1: okay. Is mindfulness for everyone yes with the caveat that you have
0: to be ready to experience the truth of who you are
1: mm. how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma uh,
0: my two books I am and time in a bottle have everything that I have learned and my website is howardfalco.com for my teachings and Uh, total mind sports for my sports work work and eight the number eight wisdom.org for the work that i'm trying to do in the educational system
1: amazing howard thank you so much for coming on sharing your story having this conversation with me i know our uh our listeners are going to get a lot out of it so i really appreciate that
0: my pleasure and henry thank you for all that you do to share information around the world i really appreciate it
1: you got something out of this episode if you like dharma talk and want to keep it going please do me a huge favor and subscribe rate and review on itunes i know it's not the most convenient thing to do but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it and hey if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me you can do that on instagram at HenryWins. otherwise i'll talk to you next week And until then, keep living your Dharma.